of Galatians. When we started this, I said I was surprised I had never preached through Galatians before. And it's funny, sometimes when I'm getting a sermon ready, I'll look over something and I'll be like, ah, I have talked about this somewhere else. And I either, I either wrote about it in the daily Bible reading somewhere, or I wrote about it on my blog somewhere, or I did a youth retreat 20 years ago about it or something or somewhere. I couldn't find any of that for any of this in Galatians, which is really fun because it's like, okay, this is like a good, a good mature lesson uh, that hasn't, hasn't been recycled anywhere yet. So, all right, I have two stories. And they don't make sense together, but oh my gosh, they will make sense once we're into it. So once upon a time, I went to Harrison High School. Don't judge me. And we had open campus, which means we could drive anywhere in town we wanted to to eat lunch. As high school students, we had 55 minutes. And if you parked in the right spot and you counted your passing period as the time between classes as part of your lunch, you had really had a whole hour. But that was really being risky. And so me and my friends would go to Taco Bell and one icy cold day that should have been a snow day. We went to Taco Bell together and I remember we got out of the car and there's this guy walking into Taco Bell ahead of us and he had like 19, between 19 and 47 scarves wrapped around his head because it was so cold. And he stepped up on the sidewalk and he just went completely horizontal, total, it was like slow motion. His legs were kicking in the air. His arms couldn't do anything. And he came down on his back and those 87 scarves all around his head just exploded into this bundle. And it looked like his head, it looked like he had a big giant head that just exploded on impact. He wasn't hurt at all. He was totally cushioned. But those scarves flew everywhere. And being the good, unrighteous high schooler that I was, me and my friends lost it. And we laughed so hard at that guy. And I think we laughed at him because he got up and we knew he wasn't hurt. I think there was that momentary, <gasps> and then, and he had to pick up all of his scarves and he was doing all that. And we all went into Taco Bell and everything was fine. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to message one of those people later on today and ask them if they remember that happening because I'd be surprised. It wasn't that memorable, but man, I, it was memorable to me. All right, so that's story number one. I probably handled that wrong, right? Only feel a little bit bad about it. I mean, I was like 14. It's okay. No regrets. Fast forward. I get into the shower, and there, stuck on the wall of my shower, is a Band-Aid with, like, blood on the thing. And my first reaction is, what the heck? This is disgusting. Who, I, I have good kids. Who in the world stuck this bloody Band-Aid to the shower wall and left it? And then I felt real bad because I thought, one of my children is wounded. One of my children has a wound that's bad enough to have a Band-Aid that's got blood on the bandage. And my first reaction is, 
Who stuck it to the side of the shower soap dish thing? Which is good, because that means it probably wouldn't go down the drain. Then I'd have to call a plumber. So they're really acting in my best interests. But again, I reacted wrong to that. My first reaction was, "Who? this is disgusting. Who would do this? I don't need volunteers. Who would stick this to the wall? And no joke, full disclosure, like three weeks later, I did it myself. So Galatians, we've been talking about Galatians. Last week, we talked about the deeds of the flesh and how terrible they are and all of these horrible things that when we act in our flesh, this is what happens. Then we talked about the fruit of the spirit, the deeds of the spirit, what comes out of your life when you live in obedience and in, in following and in fellowship. It is even says in step with like you're 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 dancing with the Holy Spirit and you're not tripping. So Galatians 6.1, Brothers, if any of you is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Guess what? Caught in a transgression. That caught in a transgression. There's a couple ways that Paul talks about sin. And there's one way that's like when the sidewalk is icy and you run on it and you jump on it. And you slide and you have fun. That's not the word here. The word here is actually found in other Greek writings as somebody accidentally slipping on ice and falling on accident. And that is the key thing here, because you read about the deeds of the flesh in Galatians five and you think, oh, gosh, I don't do any of those. And then you get into the real definitions of them. And you're like, well, maybe I do some of them, but I don't mean to. Then you read the fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, tenderness, self-control. And you think I do some I do some of those. Some of those I'm not so good at. And Paul says, guys, folks. If somebody slips and falls down on accident, restore them with a spirit of gentleness. So when somebody sins, when somebody sins, it's not, oh, who stuck a band-aid to the shower wall? It's, oh my gosh, one of my kids is hurt. When somebody sins, it's not the dude's head exploded. <laughs> it's, oh my gosh, are you okay? How can I help? Translate that into the sins that we see people do. Because we're in a culture right now where when we find out somebody did something, man, I thought he was a good man. I thought she, I thought she had her act together, right? How do we respond when somebody sins? And a lot of times we are really quick to decide for ourselves, did they run and jump on that ice and that's how they're sliding? Or did they accidentally slide on that ice? This happens, uh, 
It, it upsets me every time I see it. Somebody gets shot near our neighborhood and then the news report comes out that it was three o'clock in the morning at a gas station and somebody always comments on Facebook, she shouldn't have been at the gas station at three o'clock in the morning. And do you know how many times people I love and are dear to me, we've been on road trips, we've been going somewhere, we had to stop for gas at three o'clock in the morning. We didn't know what kind of neighborhood it was. We need to get gas. We're trying to drive home from Colorado. People, when they, when they write, they shouldn't have been there at that time. That is not restoring them with the spirit of gentleness. At all. Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. When my brother sins, my job as his brother in Christ is not to point out his sin for the sake of making him feel bad, but my job is to restore him. And sometimes that restoration might be, gosh, what you did was terrible. How can I help you out of this? And sometimes I don't need to tell them how terrible it is. Because they know. They're going through it, right? Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. It's so wild. For five chapters of Galatians, what has Paul been talking about? You're free from the law. There's no more um, punishment for sin. But now all of a sudden he's talking about people sinning. And people breaking the law and people doing wrong. What's wild is he's not saying you can't do wrong. He's not preaching universalism where God doesn't hold anything against you. And God loves you too much to send anybody to hell or any of that garbage. He's saying you want to live according to the spirit. You can do wrong. You can be a Christian and that doesn't mean you're going to live a perfect life. You are still going to slip on the ice. And our, our duty as Christians is to hold on to each other and to help each other to not slip on the ice and to help one another up when we do. Not if we do, but when we do. And to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Isn't it wild? Law has just come into the book of Galatians as a good thing. It's been terrible. He's used curse words. He's carried on about being free from the law. And now he says we need to fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? We just talked about communion. Jesus sat there. He said, by this you'll know all men are my disciples if you love one another. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. It's the law of love, right? That we care for one another in Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he defeats him. He deceives himself. I think this is great because it seems like it's out of place, right? What, what does this have to do? I think I'm something, but I'm nothing. I'm deceiving myself. Anything that I am that's good is because of Christ in me. I didn't get I didn't I didn't start following Jesus till I was 18. And before that, 
I know how I was and I know how I did things. And I still have echoes and habits from those first 18 years that have lasted me into the other 30. Anything that good, good that comes out of my life is Christ. And so if anybody thinks he is something, because he just said, if you slip, if your brother slips on the ice, you need to restore him. If you think you are so good and holy that you won't slip on the ice, you deceive yourself. If you think you won't sin the way that person you're judging just sinned, you deceive yourself. I heard a guy at, a, at another, another, I think it was Nashville rescue mission, and he told all the guys in the rescue mission, he said, I may not have committed the sins that you guys have committed, but I have the capacity and I have the ability to. And sometimes I want to. <laughs> it's like, oh. If anyone thinks he is something, when he's nothing, he deceives himself. But each one, let each one test his own work. Then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Okay, so growing up, got all these kids, right? And we go to Burdette Park, and we're going to swim, and we're going to race that big long pool. We're going to race all the way to the end. And I'm like this fine, strapping, physically fit adult, and I can swim faster than any of them and beat them all the way to the other end, no problem. So we came up with this scheme, and we'd wait on this wall, and I would count. And when I said your age, you can take off. And so we start counting and we get to Caleb's age and he gets the head start, right? And he's going to be two counts ahead of Levi and Levi's going to go and Levi's going to go. And I don't know, Gracie, if you were in on all this silliness or not. Then I get to Isaac and David and they go. And then I'm just counting and counting and counting till I get to my age. Which really turned into fun. Because then every once in a while they'd be worn out and they would look and I would just be looking at them. 36, 37, 38, increasing the fear. When I got to whatever, however old it was, whenever we were doing this, then I would take off. And it was hard work to beat those guys, right? They're like 25 seconds ahead of me. At the closest. What we were doing, we're playing a game where we're competing against each other, right? But if I won and I beat all my kids and we all started at the same time, I would just be a jerk dad. That would just not be fair. This is such, that is just such a, a picture that I thought of when reading this. Let each one test his own work. His own reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. In 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about how foolish it is for us to compare ourselves with others. When we compare ourselves with how good they're doing, how holy they are. Oh man, that guy did this and that. I will never be that holy. Or the other direction. Man, dirtbag, sleazeball, so-and-so. Did it again. I'm glad I'm not a sinner like them. I'm glad I'm not whatever. Terrible. We stand before God and we don't get to say, here I am, Lord. I'm a whole lot better than him. I know I'm not as good as her. Here I am. Where's my seat? No way. 
It's all about Jesus. We each have to bear our own load. So think that through for a little bit. How does that play out in the Christian life and how we relate to each other? If everybody has to bear their own load, then what I can do for you is help you bear your load. And I can help not make your load so heavy. <laughs> so some ways I can try to, to, to be kind, right? Faithful, have some self-control so that it's easy for you to be a Christian with me. It's easy for you to live the Christian life with somebody like me because it's not making you wish you weren't a Christian. <laughs> and then at the same time, I can care about you and I can know about you and I can see what's up so that, and I can pray for you so that I can intervene and help out when I see, gosh, you need help. You need some support. So we help each other. At no point do we say, well, you got to bear your own burden. Instead, we say, gosh, you got to bear your own burden. How can I help you lighten that burden? How can Jesus, how can Jesus help you lighten that burden? And maybe it'll be through me. Maybe I'll be a part of that. This is great. Galatians 6, 6. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked forever. Whatever one sows that he will also reap. The one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. All of that fits together into one group. So let the one who has taught the word share good things with the one who teaches. Do you know what Paul's favorite thing? You guys have all experienced this. When you teach somebody something, And then everything goes on and you're like, I don't know if they got it. I don't know if they know what they're doing. You know, this is this goes from spiritual stuff to showing somebody how to do oil change. I don't know if he's going to put the cap back on right. I don't know if he's going to fill the oil manifold with antifreeze. I don't know what's going to happen. When the person that's taught does it, does the thing and they come back and they tell the teacher, I did this. The teacher is finding out, yes, my teaching is bearing fruit. This is good. Paul is saying to them, you guys, I have heard how messed up you are. Don't get distracted by these people trying to put the law on you. And as you have revelation, teach me too, because we're all in the body of Christ. I'm not a rock star over you. Teach me back. Teach me these things. Whatever you sow, you will reap. You will have something that you will learn. Every single one of us is a student of Jesus. Every single one of us has something to learn. And it might sound dumb and it might be no big deal. But remember, we're all bearing our own burdens all by ourselves. So Jesus loves you so much. He's going to show you things and teach you things that are just for you. But as we share them with one another, we encourage one another. Oh, yeah. Oh, that, that's good. That's um, a long time ago. 
I used to pick up hitchhikers all the time. And be driving around town, there'd be a dude, and I'd pull over. I never picked up any women. But I'd pick up these guys, young guys, old guys, talk to them, give them a ride around town, wherever they wanted to go. And uh, so I'm sitting at a Bible study, and this guy, super holy, righteous, awesome dude. He said, oh, man, you won't believe what happened to me this week. I stopped at a light, and I looked over, and there was a hitchhiker. And I thought, what would Dan Sullivan do right now? So I picked him up. I was like, dude, don't ever do what Dan Sullivan would do. Do what Jesus would do. Don't ever ask yourself that question ever again. Promise me you won't. He's like, oh, it was awesome. It turns out he blah, 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 blah. And he had this awesome, I mean, the Lord showed up. It was great. I had shared all these hitchhiking stories. And that encouraged him. He picked up a hitchhiker, which is just a skill. I don't want anybody murdered because they tried to do what Dan did. I could do it, right? As we share the stories, we share testimonies with each other. We share, oh, I read this in the Bible, you know, this and that. We all get built up and we all reap. We all reap spiritual things. If I sit for an hour and I watch YouTube videos of horror movies and I watch previews of scary movies and scary things and then I hear a sound in the basement, I have sown fear into my soul so that to go down there and to stop the sump pump from overflowing I'm too afraid to do it I mean that's just a super practical thing right if I spend my time uh, driving down the Lloyd Expressway past the Powerball sign and I daydream all the way down about how much great it would be to have all this money and have all this money and what I would buy and I have all this then when I have a chance to give some money away and to donate to somebody, I'm like, this is keeping me from my yacht. You sow the seeds, they will come to be. So as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. Instead of sowing seeds to the flesh, what does Paul offer as something to do instead? Do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. So this is really fun. Everyone. Do good to everyone but Jesus. What about this dirtbag sinner that did me wrong? Everyone? Guess where else that word everyone shows up in the New Testament? John 3, 16. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So when Paul says do good to everyone... It's to that same everyone that whosoever will believe will have eternal life. You don't know, right? When we, when we stop to do good to somebody, we don't know where they are. We don't know anything about them. We don't know if they slipped on the ice on purpose or if they slipped on the ice on accident. We don't know. They might not even know. Do good to everyone. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. This is hilarious. Okay, so Bible scholars, historians, sometimes they get carried away about every little word of the Bible and like what it means. And I can tell you there are essays and doctoral theses on why did Paul write with large letters at the end of Galatians 6. We're not going to go through all that. But there was one interesting one that is worth, because the other stuff we've talked about, 
Apparently, a long-term effect of malaria is migraine headaches and vision problems. And there's a whole school of historians. Remember how Paul, his route on his first missionary journey, and they went up to that one city that nobody went to because they'd usually go this way, but that's where you went if you got malaria and you wanted to escape malaria and Mark left him and all that. And it could have all, and he was suffering when he met the Galatians. He was sick, deathly ill, and they took care of him, he says. A long-term effect of malaria is migraines and vision problems. And so if Paul would be writing on his own, he would be writing in big letters because he would have, if he had malaria, he would have. Isn't that wild just to think like, okay, this is real. This all happened. This is all history. It gets translated a whole lot, institutionalized a whole lot, taught in all kinds of ways. You get your doctoral degree on why did Paul write big letters in Galatians, blah, blah, blah. It was real. It was real life. Like a real guy wrote this. And it took effort for him to write it. It took effort for him to deliver it, to get it to the people. He didn't know if they were, if it was ever going to make it or not. They say that 1st and 2nd Corinthians are actually 1st and 3rd Corinthians. And there's another letter to the Corinthians in between those two that probably got lost. It just brings the reality of the whole thing into play here that, gosh, what if what if Paul was suffering with repeated migraines and vision problems? Uh, There's another place where he says people criticize him because he's a poor public speaker. He says that about himself. It's like, wow, he struggled and yet he continued to do all this. Look at how big I'm writing to you. It's those who want to make a good showing in the flesh that would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. He's coming back to the whole point of this whole letter, right? This is the wrap it up conclusion. Even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised so they will boast in your flesh. Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Wow. He's saying, I am not telling you to do any of this stuff to make anybody happy. I'm not telling you any of this stuff to gain anybody's approval. I'm telling you the truth. And I don't even care what the world thinks. I have died to the world and all of its honors. Remember, Paul was brilliant and he was famous and he would probably be in history books even if he would have stayed Jewish, he, we would still have a historical record of him because of all the great things that he was on track and in school and, and training to do. Far be it from me. I'm not going to boast in any of that except for the Lord Jesus Christ. Neither circumcision counts for nothing nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. You have been made into an entirely new species of being. Never before has there been a human with the spirit of God living inside that human until Pentecost. And now since Pentecost, because Jesus died on the cross for your sins and rose from the dead and sent his Holy Spirit and makes you a new creation. You are new. 
And that doesn't have to do with any of the deeds of the law. The law is this whole, it's over there. This is what's happening here. As for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon you and upon the Israel of God. Peace to everybody that believes this and embraces it. Greet them, welcome them. Bear their burdens, help them along. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. He says, look, I have paid for this message. I have paid for this message. You who are in Galatia, you saw me stoned and left for dead. You see me whipped and beaten and flogged and all kinds of, you know, locked in prison, all that business. I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. He's not saying I've got the crown of thorns and I've got the, the stigmata in my hands and all that. No, he's saying, look at my scars. Look at my bruises. I was there. I have done this for Jesus. Jesus suffered. I am suffering for Jesus. These are, these are Jesus's marks upon me. Remember Jesus said, whenever they curse you, they're cursing me. The words that they say to you fall on me. Paul is taking his suffering and saying, you know what? This isn't just my suffering. This is the Lord's suffering. He has suffered this with me. And, and I am with him in it. And that's how he concludes. Grace of the Lord Jesus be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. This whole letter was sent to the Galatians after Paul traveled through there, went back to Jerusalem. They discuss, oh, the Gentiles are coming to the Lord. Do they need to be Jewish or not? All that controversy, right? Then once the decision was made, this is where we're going to start up next week. Paul goes out again. He's like, okay, look, I was already preaching this. Now I got the backing of everybody in Jerusalem and the whole church. The law does not count. Your righteous works that will only get you up to the bottom of the sewer level don't count. The only thing that counts is the grace and the peace of the Lord Jesus and it is offered freely to whosoever will believe it. That is good news. Let's pray. Lord, do it. We praise you that you have saved us from the dominion of darkness and you have brought us into light. That we would be called sons and daughters of God, that you would adopt us in and save us, that you would walk around and do your works with our hands and with our feet, with our mouths, with our smiles. That you would use us to advance your kingdom. That is amazing. And I pray that you would do it, Lord. I pray that you would help us to see when we are sowing to the flesh so we would stop it. Give us opportunity to sow to the Spirit so that we would do it more than ever. And help us to reap righteousness and holiness and peace and reign with you in your kingdom. We love you and we praise you, Lord. Amen. All right.